This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything that Tom Rich and I have been up to on the 31st of October. And yes, that is Halloween. And so, yes, we have been looking at Halloweenonomics. It's a bit of a subdued Halloween. Tom Harvey was telling us uh, a lot of events obviously cancelled at the moment, but they've done quite good business in pumpkins. He's the commercial manager of Spinney's. You can hear from him, although not see his costume, uh, coming up on the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We've also been getting some tax advice for you from an expert, Shiv Mahalingam from the Craigus Group. And Bloomberg's put some numbers on that Dubai Taxi IPO rumour. They say they've seen an investor presentation. So we've been speculating wildly with a lawyer this morning uh, about what might be in it and why a Dubai Taxi IPO would make sense. Andrew Tarbuck as head of capital markets at Altamimi and Co. Should we start with our top story this morning, Brandy, which is the UAE economy numbers. The economy minister has been speaking. Yeah, absolutely. Standing on stage at the AIM summit, the AIM summit in Dubai. By uh, Abdullah Bentouk saying that the first half of the year has grown by around 3.7%, most of that driven by what is called a staggering uh, 5.9% rise in non oil GDP. We were interested in that non oil GDP and what sectors of the economy were driving it. This is Jean Walters from Emirates MBD. The UAE Minister of Economy, speaking at the Alternative Investment Management Summit in Dubai yesterday, highlighted the UAE's robust economic performance in the first half of 2023. UAE GDP grew 3.7% year-on-year in the first six months of the year, with a particularly strong performance in non-oil GDP, which grew 5.9% year-on-year. While a detailed breakdown of the UAE economy is not yet available, we do know from Dubai and Abu Dhabi GDP numbers that sectors connected to tourism, such as transport and storage and accommodation and food services, have done well in 2023 thus far. In Abu Dhabi in particular, there's also been strong growth in financial services. And that is uh, Jean Walters. What we also wanted to know was what the bank's full year outlook for the economy was. Uh, the official projection is 3.6%. What's EMBD putting on it? We expect non-oil activity to remain robust over the remainder of 2023. That's consistent with the strong numbers we've seen from surveys such as the PMI. Our expectation is for UAE GDP to grow 2.9% in 2023 as a whole. Looking further out, we anticipate growth to rise into 2024, reaching 3.6%. That's Sean Walters, economist at Emirates MBD. One thing I'd be interested to know, Tom, and you're going to be looking at this in a couple of minutes, is what potential impact profit tax could have on. Now, it's, it, it was launched on June the 1st, but in reality, it really kicks in on January the 1st, because that's the financial year of the vast majority of companies here in the UAE. And you've got someone joining us in the studio, haven't you, shortly to talk tax? Yeah, uh, I've just tried to uh, sweeten him up with um, a cupcake out in the green room. He's turned me down, though, has Shiv. Uh, so we will try and do our best. So, no, uh, Shiv's going to come in in just a few moments' time. Part of a sort of big focus on all things tax, uh, tax at the moment. Um, Shiv, obviously, the uh, working with the Craigus Group Limited here, has advised large multinationals for the past 25 years or so in relation to international tax. And... I think the big question we're going to be asking here with regards to corporation tax in all its guises is that, you know, a lot of people have read the headlines. How many people have 
read the fine print, Shiv has. Um, and there are so many exemptions out there. And that's what the thing that companies are asking at the moment is, do I have to pay? <laughs> and if I do have to pay, how much do I have to pay? That's it. Got 15 minutes with Shiv on that. Do earnings were out yesterday, the telecom provider here. And we always love do earnings and Atisla earnings, Brandy in particular, because we get that magical elixir of economic analysis, which is... Proxy data, so Pro- basically guessing. <laughs> proxy data. But it's educated guesswork with proxy data because we don't get population figures here in the UAE. So we look for indicators. DWA subscriptions is one of the things we look at. But mobile phone subscriptions is a proxy. School enrolments is a proxy. They are imperfect, but economists use them and we use them. So the headline from Do, cracking set of numbers from them, net profit surging 37% to nearly $1.26 billion Uh, dirhams, which is a a superb set of numbers. But we're more interested in the mobile customer base, which was up more than 9%. Yeah, it was indeed. In fact, similar for Saudi. So do mobile subscribers up 9.5% just under? If I have a look at Saudi Telecom's numbers and we shift the proxy data game, expand it into the kingdom. Um, Also, a big bump in net profit, 38% higher year on year. Mobile subscribers up just over 9%. Others in the kingdom of Abu Dhabi, Aldar, very good. Baruj, not so good. Um, Aldar numbers exceptional. Record sales. Um, They have what they're calling a growing vein of overseas and resident expat buyers. That's 60% of their sales for this year so far. Um, But what really grabbed me about the Aldar earnings were the words. They talk about a next step. They talk about a new strategy. And they talk about expansion into select international markets. They're already in Egypt, obviously, um, but they are looking towards Europe. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiI1038.com. Where we are looking towards the next cab off the rank when it comes to our IPO pipeline. Been rumours for a long time that it will be Dubai Taxis, Bloomberg upping the ante uh, by saying that it's seen an investor presentation with quite a few numbers in it. Very pleased to be joined by a man who knows a thing or two about an IPO, Andrew Tarbuck, Partner and Head of Capital Markets at Al Tamimi. Andrew, it's lovely to see you. Good morning. Morning, Brandy. Great to see you again. Right. So we've got this report out from Bloomberg saying that we could see um, a raise, hopefully, of around $300 million from a share sale uh, for Dubai Taxi. They're talking about the sort of dividends that the company would pay out. We've been waiting for the next IPO for a while, and we'll get out to that in a minute. But tell me why a taxi IPO would make sense. So I think, um, first of all, this is a continuation of the Dubai government privatisation process. And, you know, when the Dubai government looks at, you know, potential IPO candidates, you've got to look at businesses that are sustainable, that, you know, they're, they're hopefully profitable and will, you know, be part of the utilities of the government itself sort of going forward and people are always going to need taxis and you know if you look at the strategy for Dubai government it's all about population growth tourism and all of these elements that actually go to the usage of taxis and road transport so Dubai taxis is a very good candidate given you know what the country is trying to do is what is part of its wider public policy so in all honesty as as an entity as an issuer it's a good potential corporate entity for the future. So I think the Dubai government is happy to you know, allow people to invest in that sort of from a public policy perspective. OK, so that's from the issuer's side. What about from the investor's side? What's the investment case for me? 
Well, I think, you know, it's that, that it's that point that it's a Dubai government IPO. So it's, as I said, part of the privatization process. We've seen incredible dividends coming out of the Dubai government issuers. Uh, Dewa was incredible. They did a special dividend at the end of last year as well. Uh, obviously, you know, th- there's, there's no sort of guarantees around the dividend, but we'll see when the prospectus is actually issued, um, what the dividend policy will be. But certainly, if you look at the historical track record of the Dubai government issuers so far, the dividend track has been pretty positive. So I think a lot of investors will be looking for the dividend policy disclosure in the prospectus itself, um, and they'll be quite interested to see it. And investors love that dividend. So I think, you know, given given the nature of the issuer and the historical track record, I mean, obviously, dividends may not be paid out if there's no distributable profits, but, you know, there's no guarantee. But so far, the track record's been very, very good. So I think that, it, that investors will be hoping that that dividend is going to look healthy um, again. Okay, so this is the first IPO of this year. We had that big announcement of, of 10 government or semi-government mm. companies. We got up to four last year and then the train did see, seem to slow down. Why did it slow down in your opinion? So I think, look, the... the, the <sighs> There's only so much you can do in a year, and four in a year was was pretty impressive from the Dubai government itself. And I think you've got to make sure that you time the IPOs correctly so that there's a there's a sort of IPO readiness. And I think the point is that that you can't always time it. That every you know every two and a half months, three months, you'll have a company that you can just take off the stocks and actually just list it. So it's about readiness and making sure that the timing is right. So, um, I mean, the Dubai government, probably in the first six months, a lot of the market was asking, when's the next one coming? And then in true sort of, I guess, London bus, RTA taxi analogies, you know, two come at once. So um, the Dubai government has, has effectively, it's in the market already from Bloomberg, that there's actually another IPO from the RTA as well. So in, in many respects, you know, it's later on in the year, but you don't want to crowd out the market as well because Adnock Gas came at the start of the year. So that listed in February. And that was actually the largest IPO globally for the first half of 2023, which is a remarkable statistic. And, you know, that that that's fact now. So if you look at investor demand, there was always going to be quite a lot soaked up by that IPO in the first in the first quarter. And then you sort of move into summer. So you find that the investor windows and the, the actual IPO windows are actually quite short. And if you have one particular IPO that sucks up a lot of investor demand, you tend to just delay a little bit more. And I think that that's the reasoning behind it. Okay. Well, given that we've got higher interest rates, uh, so we've got a lot more alternatives for investors at the moment to make mm. good, safe money without having to, to to risk any capital, given that we've got geopolitical concerns on a, a number of fronts, given that a number of US IPOs have, have disappointed after listing, mm. Uh, what would you make of a Q4 timing? Um, I think for this region, it's fine. I think one thing that everybody's keeping a bit of an eye on is the geopolitical situation, because that's something that that I think has certainly caught the world by surprise. And the market is trying to work out what's exactly is happening in terms of whether there'll be a, a wider contagion as, as a result of the geopolitical issues. But I think to be honest, the Middle East markets are looking strong. 
And there's certain confidence here. And in many respects, the fact that the, there's been underperformance in some of the, the, the US listings and the London listings confirms that, again, this area and this region is actually you know a good bet. So it, it's one of those things that last year, the volatility in the US, London and Hong Kong, Asia really put institutional investors into this region. And it's continuing because, you know, there was signs of life or there were signs of life in New York and on NASDAQ, but some of the performance has not been so good. And certainly London as well is... uh, It's got a continual cold at the moment. And we're going to have to finish it there, unfortunately. Andrew Tarbuck, partner and head of capital markets at Al Tamimi & Co, the law firm, talking to us about those reports that an RTA taxi IPO might be a little bit quicker than we thought. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Talking technology now because within the past four hours in California, Apple has wrapped up its latest launch event. The iPhones, they're the biggie. They happened last month. This was computers. It's where Apple made its name and they're still an important part of what Apple does. They unveiled their whiz-bang super-duper new M3 chip in its computers. It's just a three nanometer chip, which is apparently a big deal for the world. Let's get some reaction to that now. We have got Abbas Jaffa Ali joining us on the line. He's the managing director of Tea Break Media here in Dubai. Abbas, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Richard. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. So why is the world getting so excited about this new microchip that is three nanometers? What is three nanometers and why does it matter? Absolutely. So it's the smaller process of manufacturing. The smaller it is, the more transistors you can fit inside a package, which means better performance and hopefully better battery life as well. We've been doing this for the last, I don't know, since the invention of computing, chips get smaller by every couple of years. We get a new package which is smaller and faster and more energy efficient. And that's the direction we're headed in. It's nothing new, but it's good to have, uh, you know, to be on the three nanometer track now. The the event was called Scary Fast, which is partly a play on Halloween. That's the scary bit. But Fast is also about the the new microchips. And there's there's talk of the so-called processor wars between Apple, which has its own in-house chip company, Apple Silicon, and the the outdoor chip or the, 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 the standalone chip makers like your Intels, your AMDs, and, of course, NVIDIA, increasingly prominent How are these playing out? Look, I think we're moving more and more towards an ARM architecture, which is what Apple has on their new M series of chips compared to what the x86 architecture on the Intel-based CPUs or the AMD-based CPUs of the last decade. These chips are more energy efficient. And the race had always been where Intel wanted to be efficient enough to compete with ARM and ARM wanted to be powerful enough to compete with Intel. I think ARM is going to be winning the race on which the architecture of these new, you know, NVIDIA and uh, Apple are based on. Uh, It looks like we're getting there. The performance increase on ARM year on year is phenomenal, while sort of maintaining the power levels that it's already traditionally been known for. So I think from that perspective, ARM is doing really, really well, and Intel has a tough time ahead of it. And without getting too much into the weeds of the, the, the creation of microchips, am I right in thinking that ARM which recently listed on the stock market, is A, it only designs microchips, it doesn't make anything, and B, Apple and ARM work together on the Apple chip. Yeah, absolutely right. So ARM doesn't manufacture processes of its own, it just creates designs which then Apple buys or NVIDIA buys or Qualcomm buys, and then they base their processes based on the designs by ARM. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that. 
Okay, so that's what's inside the computers. Let's talk about uh, consumers and going into a store and buying laptops. It's been a tough time for the laptop industry generally. I was reading the latest numbers Mm. from Gartner. PC shipments down 17% in the second quarter of this year. What's going wrong? What's the bigger picture problem with the laptop market at the moment? I don't think there's a bigger picture in this. I think, look, I mean, when uh, with COVID and stuff like that, everyone upgraded their laptops. And unlike phones, which people tend to upgrade every year or two years, laptops or desktop computers stick with us for a lot longer than that. So I think a lot of people just went ahead and upgraded their computers in the last three years or so. And it's just one of those lulls that, you know, sort of the industry goes through because of that. I don't think there's anything specific to that. It's just a cyclical market and it will pick up again. Absolutely. Okay, let's look at the the battle of the laptop makers. Top three are all PC makers making Windows PCs. Lenovo, uh, artist formerly known as IBM, is top at 24, closely followed by HP at 22, and then Dell at 17%. Number four is Apple, with about 9 or 10 or 11%, depending on which of the reports. So it's a, it's a quite a distant fourth. But I was obviously looking at the reports about this, and they say you have to think, if you looked at a subset of that, of premium laptops over $1,000, then the market share would look very, very different. Is there some truth in that? 100%. It's exactly like the iPhone, right? I mean, the iPhone doesn't sell as much as Android phones from Samsung or Lenovo or other manufacturers, for example. But when you look at the premium space, iPhone is the dominating phone, and the same holds true for computers as well. Uh, You know, like uh, Dell sells a lot of computers, Lenovo sells a lot of computers, but when it comes into the premium space, I think Apple holds the top spot there. So in terms of the UAE market at the moment, how well has the iPhone 15 sold? Look, I don't have those numbers for you, but uh, I can tell you that almost everyone that I know on the street who had an iPhone 14 Pro Max is carrying an iPhone 15 Pro Max. So I think people who uh, like their new phones, like their shiny new toys, have upgraded to it. I've got one here myself as well. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of one of the culprits in this as well. Uh, but I think it's done well for Apple. You've got silicon on your fingers, Abbas. Let's talk about Samsung, if we can, though, because breaking this morning out of South Korea, we got earnings from Samsung Electronics, and they were better than expected, but profit was down quite significantly. They made $4.1 billion in in the last quarter. Now, Samsung Electronics does more than just make phones. It makes microchips as well, so it's a slightly more complicated story. But how is Samsung doing in the smartphone wars? Uh, Look, I think they are obviously the pioneers when it comes to foldable phones. They've got the Z Fold series, which uh, I think is probably the best foldable phone in the market right now. From an Android perspective, I think in the region, they also have a great market share with the Galaxy S series. The S24 should be upcoming in the next quarter. They usually release the new flagship phones on Q1 of the year. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, I think they're they're in good shape. Now, you mentioned that uh, Sam you know, the semiconductor part of Samsung. I think what hurt them the most was the memory manufacturing. That's where prices literally just shrunk down to very, very, very low prices, which I think has been hurting them not just for the last quarter, but for the last few quarters as well. Abbas, we'll let you go. I'm sure you were up late watching that Apple event, which finished, I think, about 5 a.m. UAE time. So appreciate you for getting up early to join us this morning. Your thoughts of uh, Abbas there. Abbas Jaffa Ali is the managing director of Tea Break Media. It's the business breakfast. Will we'll, we be rushing out, Brandy? We've all got Mac laptops here to buy the new MacBook Pro with an M3 processor. You and I were speculating the other day, though, whether or not laptops don't last as long as they used to despite the fact that we keep less on them because of the cloud. Yeah, 
Um, I, m- mine's three years old and is feeling it at the moment. Does it, is it just me or did it feel like you used to get a lot more out of them? Yeah, it used to be. They'd last for years and years. But, I mean, Tom obviously will will still have one of those desktop iMacs with the blue and and yellow covers because, Tom, you can make, you can sweat the asset, can't you, when it comes to technology? Yeah. Yeah, until it conks out. I'll be using it. Which is the way we should all be, but you actually live and breathe it. Yeah, but yeah, this one seems to be, but this one's getting a bit slower now. Uh, the battery is getting a bit slower, but I can live with it. It's fine. <laughs> Aren't we all, Thomas? Aren't we all? Tax Tuesdays on the Business Breakfast with Virtuzone. Get tax ready for free at taxready.ie. Yeah, used to be Taco Tuesdays, but that's like so 1990s. It's all about Tax Tuesdays these days. Uh, uh, Why? Because the UAE has introduced corporate tax. Uh, It is, of course, a shift in the fiscal policy to drive economic growth. And then probably that's one of the keys for people to remember rather than to complain about all things tax. Uh, Why not try and embrace it and see uh, how it can benefit your business and otherwise? Uh, Let's get some thoughts now from international tax and global transfer pricing expert from the Craigus Group Limited, who's advised large multinationals for the past, uh, well, over 20 years in relation to international tax. Shif Mahalingam has been kind enough to give us some of his time this morning, time which I'm sure, Shiv, must be something of a premium for you and your team at the moment. I guess I'm coming up to 30 years now as well in the business, so maybe I should... I was being kind. I was being kind, Shiv, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look a day over 25, so that's why I'm saying. It couldn't be 25 years. Listen, um, okay, corporate tax. Well warned. Uh, We had the announcement coming through from the authorities here well, well in advance. Got to deadline days now. People need to be conscious of it. Um, What's the biggest hurdle you're seeing at the moment a lot of people i mentioned a little bit earlier on a lot of people have read the headlines not everyone's read the small print as well and a lot of people are looking for those exemptions are there exemptions yeah there are a multitude of exemptions and we can we can walk through them at the high level the uh, there's a little bit of overselling i think in the marketplace when something like this ever happens you see legislation comes out and advisors rush to you know, to try to do the right thing and advise clients, but not stopping and thinking about whether it actually applies in the first place. So let's talk through a few of the exemptions. Free zone uh, entities uh, continue to be exempt if they can meet certain hurdles. Uh, if you're a UAE business, there's a small business relief of a significant amount, maybe three million uh, dirhams before you need to even think about paying any corporation tax. And if you are in that category where corporation tax does apply, there are still exemptions for accounting expenses that you can remove from your taxable profits. And, of course, there's a 375,000 dirham um, limit as well as to, as to whether you can tax profits above that level. So dividends are exempt. Capital gains are exempt. So you can see there are a number of areas, a number of positive elements that businesses can look at to reduce their overall tax bill while still being compliant. You've been kind enough to send me some notes, and uh, the majority of them are, are nodded along with. There's one word in there that I'm loving because it's a new one to me. So help me with it. De minimis. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Because so I'm really... reading it as mini me. That's a, that's a whole new <laughs> movie altogether. Really, I guess I was trying to uh, try, trying to use uh, an impressive word for just that hurdle we were talking about, the three hundred and seventy-five thousand. So any profits below that level wouldn't be subject to tax. So that becomes a de minimis limit, essentially. 
Uh, go back to your original point on that one. Uh, big focus for us on tax and our tax responsibilities as companies, but equally great opportunity for tax advisors coming into the region as well. And as you're saying, a little bit of competition out there, a little, a little bit of uh, um, feeding frenzy as well when it comes to advising companies. Are you seeing evidence of overselling of potentially price gouging as well yeah you well you see a lot of um, a lot of information is put out there as to what that companies need to comply with the legislation but less information about these different exemptions and to the i mean in fact maybe even surveys that would show how many companies it actually will impact would be would be very helpful very useful to look at I was fortunate enough to work as a, as a head of tax in-house for a number of years so I was on the other end of that uh, that table, and uh, you know, I think it's important for businesses to just read the minutiae, the detail themselves. They've got you know very strong in-house financial departments take the responsibility, as a lot of them are doing, to to look through the legislation and guidance themselves, and that arms them you know much more effectively when dealing with tax advisors, tax authorities, etc. Bit of a loaded one, but just given the fact that you've mentioned that you've seen it from both sides of that coin, in-house and uh, advisory as well. We've had recruitment um, specialists in that seat talking about the fact that a lot of companies now looking at the potential of bringing more in-house tax specialists in. I mean, is it a, is it is it is it a rule that it's not a one size fits all rule? Are there certain companies that would benefit from having someone in house? Oh, absolutely. Um, the the OECD, in fact, that sets a lot of the guidance, uh, the international tax and transfer pricing guidance that's been adopted in the UAE. Many years ago, they published a white paper, which said that uh, that in their experience, documentation prepared in house is often far superior than that prepared by an external advisor. Obviously, it's like a turkey voting for Christmas if, uh, <laughs> if an adv advisor starts talking about such matters. But no, I mean, beefing up in-house tax departments is something that we see all over the world when new legislation comes in. Uh, but also the tax authorities are doing the same thing, of course, yeah. you know, training and hiring specialists to help them deal with these these issues also. And it's really that businesses are, you know, are, are looking to do the same to, to match like for like. Um, have businesses, have the majority of businesses now registered? Have they heeded the advice? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I can't think of any clients that have that have put it off now. They've registered. They've they've gone through that process. And I should point out that even if you are subject to the exemptions, you still need to register and go through that process to avail yourself of the exemptions. So, you know, it's not a situation where you can just, you know, put a support file together, break glass in case of emergency, and and forget about it. You really need to file on a regular basis to continue to get those exemptions going forward. What about the sort of idea of international best practices? I mean, you can't get away from comparing and contrasting with other tax brackets, other tax environments around the world. Is that fair to do, given we are in the in the very early stages of our tax regimes here? It, it is. It is fair. I, I take your point. Of course, it's uh, it's early stages, but it's fair in the sense that there's a lot of um, business hubs around the world: Luxembourg, Switzerland, Singapore, that businesses can use as a regional hub for expansion into different territories and markets. So I do get asked an awful lot to compare the Dubai to those uh, those jurisdictions. A lot of businesses, they look at the Middle East and they, you know, there's a concern about, you know, political instability, etc. However, the the corporation tax and a lot of the legislative changes that have come into force, I think to the point you made right at the outset, it's very positive. It's uh, a lot of businesses know this legislation. They've been dealing with it in other parts of the world, and if they see the UAE in the same bracket as Luxembourg, Switzerland, 
and Singapore, that's a positive thing for foreign direct investment and, and, and attracting that investment, essentially. And is it key to remember that we still compare favourably to the rates that you might find in other geographies? A- absolutely. The UAE is a, continues to outperform a number of jurisdictions as a place to do business. The World Bank studies, the IMF studies place the UAE very highly in terms of a place, that, the ease of doing business. And for an attractor of foreign direct investment, it goes along with the, the comments made this morning uh, about the economic report, stimulation of growth in the UAE and how that's all trying to be encouraged uh, by these legis- legislative changes as well. Into a final minute, so what, about 40 seconds or so left with you on this one. Final piece of advice to businesses out there still tearing their hair out with regards to their sort of tax responsibilities. What's your advice today? Well, I kind of, in the run-up to Christmas, I'd say, think of it like Santa's naughty and nice list with tax authorities. If you get onto a good list as a compliant taxpayer, it's likely you'll be left alone. Um, for, and this is just experience from tax authorities around the world. However, if you are getting penalties for non-compliance, simple things like not filing your returns on time, not paying the tax on time, you, you get onto that that, bad, that naughty, naughty list, and that can cause a lot of problems going forward for businesses. See, that's where I get Shiv in. Don't get on the naughty list, all right? <laughs> Especially before Christmas. Shiv, thanks so much indeed. Shiv Malingham joining us from the Craigus Group Limited. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It's a holiday. There's part of retail. There's part entertainment. The ultimate spending combination, if you like, National Retail Federation uh, over in the Americas estimates that Americans spend around $10 billion on... And Serena Kelly has asked me to do this. Halloween. Uh, So let's get the latest here on the ground. Tom Harvey is the general manager uh, of commercial at Spinney's, and he's looking the part. Good morning to you, Tom. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. Um, Thanks very much indeed for coming in. Pleasure. This morning. Not sure if you came in on a broomstick or otherwise, but you you, you look you magicked your way here. Didn't magicked you? my way here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks thanks to my children's dressing up box late last night. Uh, you are a part and parcel of the the the, the theme at the moment. Uh, let's talk sales if we can. How big a de- is Halloween still a big deal for us here in the UAE? It's a huge deal, and I've, I mean, we've 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 done this uh, this this section I think for the last four years now, and I've, I've said every year it gets bigger. Um, it's one of those events that uh, works very well for the UAE because um, there's 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 no uh, religious uh, undertones mm. to it, so it's something that everybody is able to celebrate if they want to. And in terms of sales, when do they happen? Is there a sort of slow burn on sales? It's uh, well, things things normally kick off first of October, right. um, but it's it all happens in the last couple of days. So there is a big ramp up. Um, I don't get the sales report until eight o'clock in the morning, so I don't know what happened yesterday. But always the the last two days are the are the big ones. So there's there's still a lot to play for. Uh, obviously, given sort of um, developments in the region and further afield, and big decisions from a couple of the developers here as well, have you seen sales a little? subdued this year yeah we have it's it's not been um it's not been as big as it has been in the past and we are we are certainly seeing that people are being um sensitive to the fact that um some people don't want to celebrate um that some communities have chosen to uh, to to uh, not run the events than normally would so we have certainly seen things are um, softer we're still in growth so um it's but we're looking at more sort of single digit growth rather than the the numbers i've talked about in the past i mean as i've said 
we've, I think this is the fourth year I've talked about this, and we've been talking 20, 30% growth year on year for the last three years. So to be in single digit growth this year, actually, we're still seeing that as a, um, as a, as a good, steady performance, and we're comfortable with it. I mean, you, as a keen listener of the show and contributor as well, know that we talk often here about that sort of population growth and looking for those proxy data, et cetera. I think anyone driving around any of the communities, uh, villa, townhouse, or otherwise uh, in the UAE at the moment, will notice that people have gone to town on Halloween as they do each and every year. So what are people buying in store? It's all of the usuals. I mean, the the the, the one that has, um, has 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 really surprised us this year is pumpkins. So uh, so pumpkins have sold out, um, or just about sold out. Um, and we saw a we brought in some particularly large pumpkins this year, um, and uh, it was a bit of a gamble. And we couldn't believe how quickly they uh, they moved. <laughs> we had one customer I know came into a store. I think it was first week of October and picked up twenty six of these uh, these sort of the eight kilo pumpkins. They're absolutely enormous, but Everything's still still moving, but it's just been at a slightly slower pace than usual. Uh, in terms of pumpkin nomics uh, and therein as well, um, are we still in the position of having to uh, import uh, pumpkins into the country, or have we started growing our own yet here? We're not growing them yet. So they need quite a bit of growing time, and um, that unfortunately coincides with the hottest time of the year here. So we are still importing them. Um, we bring uh, we bring a lot in from Spain. So uh, containers and containers were, uh, were, were on the water through September, um, but uh, we got them here, and um, they were looking good. Um, Business opportunity there. I'll be looking into the hydroponics of pumpkins straight after the show. Um, quick one about uh, the, the, the the celebration timeline as well, because yes, today is Halloween, it's the thirty first, but it's a school night. It's it, it it's a Tuesday as well. Is it becoming one of those holidays that people celebrate for longer? Do we see big celebrations or celebrations over the weekend? Yeah, I mean, in fact, when when Halloween falls in the week, it's um, it's 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 the best time for us um, because it means we get a double whammy. Um, you do tend to have a more adult celebration happening at the weekend. I know you were talking earlier about some fairly lively events going on in DIFC on Friday night. Um, so we do tend to see that we get the double whammy of, right, there's a big grown-up um, event at the weekend, and then we still get the more family-focused event during the week. The worst one for us is if it's happening on a Saturday or Sunday night, and uh, then everybody does it all together, and it's only one one party. Um- you mentioned also about the, the, the sort of uptick in all things pumpkins as well. It's still also a celebration of all things sweets, isn't it? You know, whether you trick or treat, etc. People are going to be filling those bowls for something at the door as well. But equally, in terms of those celebrations, are we talking cupcakes? Are we talking a sweet tooth for Halloween? It's definitely a sweet occasion and, and sugar confectionery be, um, remains the, the, the biggest part. But we've started to make it much more of a, um, a, a longer term event so that it can be celebrated through the whole month of October. And so things like the cookies, the cupcakes, we even have Halloween focused um, cookie making kits now. Um, all of those things which um, are, are short shelf life and people are just buying for a, a little bit of fun, a little bit of a treat, middle of October um, are doing really, really well. And in terms of all things spinach, as we come towards the end of the year, knocking on the door of November as well, uh, looking back at the year that was and the remainder of this year, good year for spinach? Yes, good year. Um, we've 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 certainly seen very strong growth in transactions, and 
our um, our rate of growth as we've gone through the year has has just continued to accelerate. Um, it is the golden quarter for us because of the the number of big events we've got. Um, obviously, Halloween. We've then got National Day. We've got Christmas Day, uh, Christmas and New Year. Um, so we finish in a, um, in a in a very big way. Um, but we are looking very very strong for the end of the year and very optimistic about the year ahead. Just very quickly, going to crowbar this one in because obviously, and don't want to rain on Halloween's parade today. But Christmas not that far away. How far in advance do people need to be booking? their turkeys with spinnies because it's a busy one this year isn't it well you can go into the stores we'll have the uh, the christmas order forms starting to arrive in the next couple of weeks um, we started planning um, back in february for everything but you will see from all of the ghoulish halloween tricks and treats that are in the store today everything converts to christmas tomorrow <laughs> and uh, it'll be a, a much more wintry theme uh, you win the prize for costume of the day tom harvey thank you so much indeed My enjoy pleasure. your halloween tom thank harvey you. is the general manager commercial at spinnies You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.